Thank you for leading us today. That was awesome. Thanks for all your hard work and planning and prayer. I appreciate it. And it is good to have you with us, Malcolm, when you are with us. Get you out of the cold north, down south where it's warm. Yeah, awesome. Well, welcome here today. It's great to see you. My name is Tom. If I haven't met you, I'd like to. And I had a great weekend. I had an awesome weekend. There's a lot going on in the church on the weekend. We had two of our Alpha weekends away. So there's been a bunch of people going through the Alpha program, the Alpha course this fall. And on this one weekend, um, a group of us were in Nelson, hosted by the Nelson Covenant Church. Cue picture. Yep. So those were the people. Now, those are not all the people in the Alpha course. There's a, there's a bunch more in the Alpha course, but these are the strangest ones. And so we were... We had a great weekend hosted by the Nelson Covenant Church. But over at the Balfour Covenant Church, just a few minutes up the lake, this crew, our youth, um, representing our youth alpha, they also had their alpha weekend away, and they are worshiping with the Balfour Covenant Church as we, as we worship this morning. So they're still there. They stayed over two nights, and, uh, and they're worshiping with them and then heading home this afternoon. I think we have one more picture of these guys, a little more representative of who they are. But we're very thankful for our Alpha Weekends Away. They are a very special time uh, where um, we go through a lot of the content, particularly on who the Holy Spirit is, um, what does the Holy Spirit do, how can we fill with the Holy Spirit. And uh, it's a terrific, terrific time. And uh, there are people here this morning who were at the Alpha Weekend Away. Let's see hands. Matt, Nani, Jan, Tanya, Kristen, Eileen. Who else? Shannon. If you see Chuck around, he was there. Ask them how the weekend was. Ask them about it, and uh, I think you'll be encouraged by what you hear, some of the good things that God did in their hearts and in their lives. Thank you for praying for us, and of course, again, thank you for continuing to provide the amazing food that you provide for us. It's an important thing that God is doing in our community through Alpha. So, awesome. Well, we're into the series. Two more left of the series where we're looking at obstacles to faith, trying to examine what are some of the things that stop people from even even checking out Jesus in the first place, like things that stop you earlier, maybe an idea that you've picked up, maybe something your friend heard, something a family member experienced when they were younger, just things that get in the way. And we've looked at a lot of them. We only have two left. And today we get to talk about sex. Are you as excited as I am? Yeah, I thought so. So our goal in this series, just as a reminder, our goal in this series is to help you, you yourself perhaps, have these obstacles that are preventing you from following after Jesus or exploring who he is, but in particular to help you also have better conversations with friends and family who themselves might have this obstacle or other kinds of obstacles that prevent them from taking that next step. That is the goal of the series. So, what's up with God and sex? Well, this obstacle today has two sides to it. The first side is this idea that some can have that God seems anti-sex. Like God doesn't like sex. Now maybe it's because people have picked up something. God seems a bit prudish. Um, they, they heard something growing up. They, they, they heard something from a friend. They, maybe you were raised in a community, a, a Christian community that just never talked about it. You know, they, they never brought it up. And sort of by default, you thought it was something nasty and you shouldn't really think about it or explore or 
ask questions. Uh, and, and, and so maybe, maybe that was the case. Or, or, or maybe you just heard messages that were, were such that made you think, wow, I kind of like sex. This God seems to be against it. So check, not looking any further in that direction. That might be the case for some of you. That might be the case for some in your family. But you know, that's not the only obstacle when it comes to sex. When I was playing this series uh, months ago, um, I was uh, you know, thinking about various things, and I, I kind of narrowed in on the, the one that, that wrestles with the obstacle that is focusing on the restrictions. Like, God seems restrictive about sex. That's an issue for me. But I realized as I explored it over the last few weeks more deeply, something else started coming up. A whole other side to this obstacle. Because sex can also be an obstacle to faith in Jesus because of sexual abuse or violence or assault that's happened. Either in your own life, in the lives of people around you that you love, a family member maybe, a friend, or, or even just more generally as you watch stories unfold again and again where people have been abused at the hands of someone in the church, a pastor or a priest or a teacher, or or there's been something that's gone on and it's been totally inappropriate and wrong and it's ruined lives. And you think to yourself, that's crazy. Like, why would I even check out a Jesus if those are his followers? They do that kind of thing. Why would I even go near that place or those people? I think there's two sides to this obstacle. I'm going to try to look at them both today. One obstacle kind of wonders why God would restrict, restrict sexual activity, whereas you could say the other side wonders why God didn't restrict it. Like, why didn't God step in the way? Why didn't he prevent that kind of thing from happening? How could that possibly be okay? Both of these obstacles, as we explore them today, I think they both coalesce around a core question, and that is this. Is God really trustworthy? Can we really trust God? And this is serious business, no matter how we look at it. Whether that obstacle exists because you don't want to follow a God who restricts you or who looks down on sex as you may have thought of it, or whether you don't want to follow or explore Jesus because of this God who overlooks sexual exploitation. We've got good news today. We've got good news. Good news about sex and even better news about God. Maybe you're new to church and you're just exploring faith. I know that's true for a number of you. And I'm really thrilled. You know this. Really thrilled that, that this... Community is a place that you can journey toward Jesus in and you can discover who that is. And I, I believe that this morning's message will be really crucial for you. But maybe you've been around the church for a long time, but you've struggled sexually in your own life or you've struggled with hurts from the past. Um, maybe you're a teenager and you are trying to figure out sex and it's a little awkward. And you try to figure that out because it's important, but, um, you know, Talking to mom and dad's weird. And so you, you, you're trying to figure that out because you receive a lot of messages about sex and you, you receive a lot of different uh, things told to you. And so you're in that place. Or maybe you're a friend who always is, you know, you've got that friend or those couple of friends that always seem to go from disastrous relationship to disastrous relationship. And you're trying to figure like, how do I help this person? How do I pray for this person? How do I walk alongside of them? Or maybe you're just in a place where you have been called by Jesus to mentor someone else, to encourage someone else, someone younger than you. And dare I say, if you are a follower of Jesus, that is your calling. And so in some way, I think this message is relevant for all of us. Whether or not we ourselves particularly have struggled with this obstacle, it's important that we 
are able to walk through it. So where do we start? Well, I think we start with uh, where, what God thinks about sex. Is that a good place to start? I think we got to start there, right? Like, what, is that, what does God actually think about sex? We can't go very far without that. So a really quick, I was say quick and dirty walkthrough, but <laughs> maybe today I won't say that, except I just did. A quick summary of what God thinks about sex. Sex, point number one, is God's good idea. Like, he actually thought it up. And I had written all of this, and then we were sitting there yesterday in, in Nelson. Was it just yesterday? Yes, in Nelson. And there's this three or four minute piece in the final video all about sex from Nicky Gumbel. And he, I'm realizing, oh, this is all the stuff I've written in my sermon. It's because I've heard it from Nicky in the past. So you can, uh, you hear it better spoken with a beautiful British accent from Nicky, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to him today. It's, it's, the fact is, that sex was God's good idea. Sex was something that he thought up. And, and when he created man and woman, and all of a sudden they started, they looked at each other and, you know, their eyes locked from across the garden. And as they moved toward each other, their eyes are scanning one another's bodies. God didn't all of a sudden go, whoa, hey, what? And then, you know what happened next? And then God didn't go, whoa, cut! That is not why I... That is not what I planned here. What is going on? That is not God. God was not surprised by what happened. He intended it. That's why he created them. That's why he put them together. That's why he made them naked. He brought them together, and this is God's good idea. Sometimes in the past, there's been this idea that, 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 that sex is somehow after the fall, you know, after sin. And that's actually, there was, there was different segments, distorted segments within Christian theology that thought that. Not true. Somebody forgot to read their Bible because it's before the fall. It's before sin. God gave them each other, and in this beautiful relationship, he gave them, gave them sex. That's part of God's good creation. Sex is a beautiful expression of covenant love between a man and a woman. Sex is so much more than just a bodily function. That's part of the problem um, today. And it, a lot of the messages we receive takes this, the activity of sex and it cuts it off from covenant. It cuts it off from the rest of who we are. It becomes just a thing that's done. Or this thing that's even enjoyed per se. But it's, it's not there supporting a relationship. It's not there in covenant. It's not being used the way that God had intended Sex is so much more than just a bodily function for pleasure. It is pleasurable, but it's not just for that. It's an expression of our deepest selves in ecstatic union within covenant. One of the most beautiful and erotic poems in, well, period, is the Song of Songs. It's not a book we preach out of very often. Maybe we should, but we, we don't. But, but I wanted to give you a little teaser this morning of, of, of this beautiful poem that is about love. And I want to do it in a, in a, in a really practical way. So <clears throat> bear with me. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to need some audience participation. And if you're new here, don't worry, I'm not going to pick you. <clears throat> but if you're not new here. <laughs> I was looking for Roger. Where is he? He got off lucky. Calvin. Calvin, I'd like you to look into Judy's eyes and repeat God's word after me. Look in her eyes. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Oh, and one more. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Oh, isn't that nice? Bill? 
Yep. Look over at Joanne. Look at this is a this is this is just for you, Bill. Actually, just for you, Joanne. Here it is. Look at her. Look. Don't look at me. Your her her. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Do it, Bill. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Oh man. Ken. Because <laughs> I know how much Dale's gonna love this. Ken, 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 look at Dale. Your neck is like the Tower of David. Excellent. Oh man. I'm gonna say I'm not going to read all the breast passages. I mean the best passages. They're, they're in here. They're in here. There's actually some seriously racy stuff in there. Tanil could tell you what my favorite one is. <laughs> but I won't read it here. Actually, it's an amazing piece of literature. And, if, and I, I, I am pretty sketchy in my Hebrew. But those who study these things say... If they really translated this the way it was, I mean, there's a lot of illusion, a lot of metaphor. It's super racy. It's super erotic. It highlights the beauty of human sexuality. But do you know, the church in the past was so uncomfortable with this that for hundreds of years it was deemed heretical, heresy, to interpret that book literally. Yeah. No, no, they, 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 they made it into like a metaphor, an allegory for Christ's love for the church. And you know what? I'm not even saying it doesn't have that application, but I'm telling you, the first meaning of this book, like the first order meaning, is celebrating this beautiful covenant between the man and the woman. So sex is God's good idea. But this is super important. Though sex is God's good idea, sex is not God's greatest idea. And sometimes we thought it was. Sometimes our culture celebrates it as though it is. But it's not. Sex is God's good idea, but not his greatest idea. Which some of us should be feeling some relief at this point. Because we're thinking, I'm not getting a lot of sex. In fact, I'm not getting any. Not all of us have sex. Not all of us have sex for a variety of reasons. Some of us are single. Some of us have chosen celibacy. Some of us have recognized that as we come under the authority of Jesus, there's some things in our lives that I'm not going to be in a relationship with someone I'm going to have sex with, so I'm going to follow Jesus as a single person. Some of us are unable to. Some of us don't want to. I mean, there's just a whole variety of reasons. Not all of us are having sex, and so we should be relieved to think, well, that's okay, it's God's good idea, we celebrate that, but it's not God's greatest idea. God's greatest idea is that each human person, male and female, would be in a loving Covenant relationship within God's family. Whether we're married or single, whether we're gay or straight, wherever we are on the spectrum, whether we're confused or uninterested, whatever has happened to us, God has created us to experience this covenant relationship within his family that that doesn't doesn't really have anything to do with whether or not we're having sex or not. It has to do with being part of his new creation community, part of his church, which is experiencing God's Holy Spirit and his new creation now, but is pointing forward to the ultimate reality when we are all raised and given new bodies and living in the new creation life. This is God's greatest idea. And we see in the teachings of Jesus that he upholds the sanctity of marriage 
But he also upholds the validity, or you could say the sanctity of singleness as well. And he subjects both of them to the kingdom of God. Both of them are, 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 you know, whatever is true in our lives, we are under God's kingdom, under God's kingship, his rule. Jesus points us toward this time when we will be resurrected, as we sang, we believe in the resurrection. We will be resurrected to new life with new creation bodies. And in that new creation, Jesus says, marriage will no longer be part of our relational experience. Now, that may be hard for us to grasp, but this is what Jesus taught. We'll be living in perfect relationships, in covenant relationships, but somehow, I'm not saying we won't be male and female, but somehow sexuality or sexual practice will no longer be part of that. And so we realize in the teaching of Jesus, the teaching of Paul, teaching in the New Testament, that marriage is a calling for this life. And singleness is a calling for this life. Both have advantages, both have disadvantages, and both are temporary. What is true and eternal is that we've all been called into the family of God to be fully human and yet to be surrendered to Jesus and his will for our lives. To be in the family, that's the ideal. In the Bible, sex then is revealed as a gift, but it's also depicted consistently through as something that is uniquely dark. It's a powerful weapon where people are abused and destroyed and exploited, violated. And the Bible's very honest about this, uh, kind of hair-raisingly so, actually. You read some of these stories, and you think, well, those do not make it into the children's Bibles. You know what I'm saying? There's a reason. They're horrific. They're terrible. Some of the most... um, Horrifying stories in the Bible feature violence against women. Not because God thinks it's good. Not because God is okay with it. But to highlight how humans who reject God's desire for their lives end up exploiting and destroying others, particularly the most vulnerable. And and, and sexual violence can often feature in that degradation and that evil. And many of the prohibitions and the warnings and the guidance that's given around sexuality, we don't even realize often, it's given to protect those who would be most easily hurt, to protect the vulnerable, to protect those who had no other protection. We'll talk about that in a moment. Sin is very destructive, but sexual sin is especially destructive because it cuts right to the core of who we are. So, quick summary. Because of God's goodness and because of human sin, Sex can be both amazing and beautiful, but it also can be incredibly harmful and degrading. And I know that many of you can attest to that experience in your own lives. But God's desire is for us to experience his new creation life. All of us. Single, married, divorced, all of us, whether we've been abused or whether we haven't, all of us to experience God's new creation life in his community, the church. That's his desire. Well, I think getting a better picture of what God thinks about sex will help us, particularly as we wrestle with this obstacle ourselves or or help others do so. And I realize this was extremely uh, short and quick, but I I do want to encourage you, if this is an area of struggle for you or or a friend or family member, that getting to to know and understand God's view of sexuality, God's view of us as male and female, is super critical and super important. It'll be very, very helpful. But what about those objections? I mean, even if I accept that God's uh, you know, idea of sex is good, that God is all about it, he's awesome, but why then does he restrict it so much? Why does he 
only want men and women in covenant relationship? Why does he want us to reserve sex? Why, why is he against sleeping around and messing around, doing different things? I mean, it seems restrictive to me. And it's a great question, but I actually think the question around, like, why would God tell me what to do with my sex life, actually drives us a bit deeper. Because under that question is a more fundamental, basic question. It can seem like the obstacle is about sex, and it can be. But in many ways, the obstacle is about authority. It's really the question, like, why does God have the right to tell me what to do with my life in any area of my life? And some of you might be here today and thinking, already, you know, you're into the sermon so far and thinking, well, really, I don't struggle with the whole sex business, you know. I either ain't having it or I'm fine or whatever. It's not really an issue for me. But guess what? It doesn't mean that coming under God's authority isn't an issue for you or for me. And so we see underneath the question about sex is really a basic question of like, why would I let God tell me anything in my life? Why would I, why would I let God give me any direction on my finances? Why would I let God give me any direction on my recreation? Why would I come under the authority of God in the way that I treat my coworkers, the way that I run my business, the way that I parent my children? Why would I let you know, God have anything to, to do or say in the way that I think about people I don't like or maybe talk about them? It comes really down to that basic question of authority. And I think that's super important to note. Why should we listen to God at all? Why should we come under his direction? And the question is, of course, a trust question. Are we willing to trust that this God, who has revealed himself in Jesus, actually has a better picture of what is good for us than we do? Actually has a fuller understanding of what will harm us than we do? actually is willing to tell us to do certain things and not do certain things for our good, and we may not even understand. Why? Are we willing to trust that God? On the other side, of course, what about sexual abuse? I mean, why would I listen to a God who ignores that? I've talked to people, some of us here, who cried out to God in a place of abuse and asked God to protect them. And step in and stop what's happening. And God didn't. Why? That's tough. That's hard. And so for very, very real reasons, they've stepped away from the church or, they've, or, they've, or they've, there's so much hurt there. And, and many of you have experienced healing in that and are walking forward after Jesus in that. But, but that's a real deal, isn't it? Where we ourselves have experienced it or people in our lives have often at the hands of people who claim to follow Jesus, or let's be really honest, people who were Christians but had their own brokenness and their own, you know, they were, they were passing on junk that they received from someone else. And, they, and, and, and then you suffered or we suffered for it. You need to hear really clearly that that was not God's heart. It was not God's desire. It was never God's intention. God's intention was for children, for women, little boys and men to be protected from that. And because of human sin and rebellion, people were just violated and horribly hurt. And God weeps with those who weep. He really does. I believe that. Because when God saw you or saw others hurting. He wept with them. He went to the cross for them. 
to bring healing? You really believe that? And so it's a huge obstacle, but God knows and he sees and he wants people who've experienced this or those of us who've seen it to know that he is not overlooking that. And as we'll hear in a moment, he judges. He judges. In related to this topic, um, you know, uh, earlier on in our series, we looked at um, the subject or the obstacle. Religion does more harm than good. And we acknowledge that there's times when people have used religion to hurt others. And even next week as we talk about suffering, I think both those topics have something to say to this, this, this obstacle or this challenge of those who've been hurt by those who followed or claimed to follow Jesus. But it still brings us down to the question, can we trust this God? Can we trust him? Is it good? Which is why I think getting around this obstacle, however it surfaces, getting around this obstacle has less to do with the conversation about sex and more to do with the conversation about God. Don't get me wrong. I do think we need to have a better understanding as Jesus followers of what the Bible says and what God thinks of sex and sexuality. I, I really do. But ultimately, it comes down to who God is. The focus on his trustworthiness. And so I want to take a few moments and focus on that. First, whenever we hit this obstacle, whenever we're in conversation, whenever we're in prayer for someone who's, who's stuck in some way, we need to focus our heart and our conversation on the fact that God is good. This is foundational to who God is. God is good. And God always uses his authority as an expression of his love for us. Always. Coming under the authority of our Father, who has expressly revealed himself in Jesus, coming under his authority sexually, is not submitting to a God who hates sex. It's submitting to a God who loves us, who loves you, who created you, who designed you, and longs for you to experience his life. And whether we necessarily understand why he would say no to this and yes to this and don't do that and wait for this is really a question of whether we're willing to believe that his authority in my life is always good. Always good. Even if I don't understand it, it is always good. He is always good. And so I'm willing to say, God, if you say no to that, I'm going to just say no, even if I don't understand it right now or maybe never. And if you say yes to this, I'm going to pursue this and I'm going to say yes to that. Not because I fully understand why, but because I trust you because you are always good and you always use your authority in ways that bring healing and life and goodness to your children. Always. Because God is good. Second, because God is good, God is also protective. This is hugely important because how we must read restrictions and warnings and guidance and commands around anything, but today, particularly around sexuality, we must read them through the lens of protection. Because God is good, God is protective. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And the Bible gives lots of other guidance, lots of other commands, lots of other things. Why does he do this? Because he wants to just kill our sex lives? He wants to just crush us? No. 
That's not why God would do any of that. God loves you and he wants you to experience all of his goodness in life. And so he says no to things. He says yes to things. And he calls us towards something or away from other things because he loves you and he wants to protect you. He's protective of us personally. He's protective of our bodies and our emotions and our the very identity of who we are. God is super protective about that. And in some unique way that I don't even fully understand, when we commit sexual sin or we, we, we walk outside the boundaries that, that God has placed around what is good for us, it hurts us in a unique way. All sin is equal in the eyes of God, but some sin does more damage than other sin. Listen to this from 1 Corinthians 6. Flee from sexual immorality. Not glibly, you know, walk on by. Flee, run, away. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. And then he goes one step further. It's not just your body anymore. Do you know, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you receive from God? God himself has come to live inside your body. And now your body is important in a way you didn't even realize. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And that's a principle that extends, of course, far beyond sexuality. But in this context, Paul is saying, look, there's something uniquely dangerous about sexual sin. God is living inside you. Don't do that. Pursue what God has for you. God is so protective of us because he loves us as his children. He's also protective of relationships. Most of, probably all in some way, of the restrictions around sexuality is because God desires to protect relationships. And you and I, we all could tell stories, right? Of things that were done sexually that destroyed relationships. We know that. I mean, we don't even have, I don't have to, we all know a kind of destructive things that have happened to relationships because people didn't follow what God said, whether they knew it or not. They didn't, they didn't actually live under God's good authority. They chose to do what they wanted to do. Marriage is destroyed and children are destroyed and churches are ripped apart and businesses fail. I mean, just, just the whole thing just goes to pieces. God wants to protect relationships. And so he gives guidance. He's also protective of sex as something special, as a precious gift, and also as a potentially deadly weapon. And because it's so powerful, God places protections around it. God knows what a joy and what a sorrow sex can be. And we need to be open and again trusting to his authority that when he says no or he says yes or he says wait or he says go, He's doing it because he's trying to protect something special. And then we can't help but talk again about the fact that God is protective of the vulnerable. He's protective of particularly women and children who have borne the brunt of sexual violence through history and continue to do so today. Whether that's a domestic violence, whether that's violence that happens in wars, whether that just happens in our daily lives, we see it all over the place, don't we? In the last, I don't know, six weeks, there's been an explosion in the media of allegations, particularly in Hollywood, where young um, actresses, young women, a lot in the industry, have come forward with this hashtag MeToo 
right? Where they're saying, I also was harassed by someone or assaulted by someone or raped by someone or touched by someone in authority or someone that could make or break my career, someone that told me to keep silent. And, and, and so as allegations have just been like ripping the place apart, word is the only one left standing in the end will be Denzel Washington, um, you know, <laughs> and, and so you know, obviously, I guess a man known for his integrity, but it's, it's just incredible. And people are starting to chime in and say, me too. And I know because you're all on so, or many of you on social media, I know that many of us here were able to chime in and say, hashtag me too. Because I was in a situation where somebody in authority did something to me or exploited me in some way or assumed something or, or, or was able to take advantage of me and I didn't say whatever because they had power and I didn't. And so they chime in. And, and I know it's really easy for us to look down on Hollywood sexually, but that's not fair. Because, my goodness, the church, the church is not squeaky clean by any means, right? What we recognize is it's the vulnerable who get hurt. The women and the children, in particular, or little boys. It's people in positions of, of, of you know, where there's inequity and in power who are then exploited. God is protective of them. When he puts these rules in place and he commands us to live in certain ways, it's because he can see what will happen to the most vulnerable if we don't. That's the heart of God. Protection is not a sign of God's disdain for sex or God's low view of the body. It's actually the opposite. Rules and guidance and commands are given as an expression of God's high regard for us. His, His incredibly high view of our bodies that we made in his image, are designed to reflect him in our relationships. He's very protective of us. So God is good, God is protective, and where God's laws are broken and people are violated, we need to know that God is just. God is just. God does not overlook sin. He does not walk by and say, oh, well, I guess that's just the way the world works. It's not God. And some of us have struggled with that because we think, whether it's in the area of sexual violence or other areas of justice, it's easy to say, what? That guy, he's just getting off scot-free. You know, he's lived his whole life in some terrible way, and he died in riches and glory. How is that just? Well, we remember, right? Death is not the end. God is just, and his justice will not be mocked. We have a God who has promised judgment. Now, when we think of people who have molested children or we think of people who have raped, we all want to cheer, yes, God is just. Except we don't get to choose what God judges, do we? So we're kind of uncomfortable with the fact that, oh, right, God also said he's going to judge all the sexually immoral, which he decides who's sexually immoral. We don't, right? Well, then that gets really uncomfortable all of a sudden because... I have in my mind an idea of who I would really like to see judged, but I also have an idea in my mind who I don't want to see judged, primarily me or my friends or whatever. What the scripture teaches us is that God is just. His justice will not be mocked. That God will follow up on evil. And he would deal with it directly. But this is important to note. His justice is something that He has promised he will fulfill. 
And the question at the end, which is what we're moving to next, is whether or not people have let God in his son Jesus take the place of their justice, take the place of their penalty, or whether they will refuse him, refuse to repent, refuse to accept the work of Jesus on the cross, and they will, quote-unquote, pay the sin themselves. Because, see, God is just, but he's also redemptive. In all these stories we've shared today, there's some of us who have been hurt sexually or have had friends and family members who have. Part of the fact that God is redemptive means that God, he knows you and he knows exactly what happened to you. He knows the life choices that have come out of what happened to you. And God is able in his own amazing way, though he, is, he never wanted that to happen for you, he is able to take those awful things and do something in you that is beautiful. He's able to heal you in amazing ways. He's able to use you to bring healing to others. He's able to create in you this new spirit and this new creation life that is absolutely wonderful because sin has no hold on us anymore. That's God being redemptive. But also... God is redemptive because every single one of us who have sinned against someone else sexually, and we can line up in that one too, we recognize as we, are, or as we realize the hurt we've caused, as we realize the sin that we perpetrated against others, we can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, save us. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I was wrong. I talked to someone recently who in this conversation realized they started thinking back to all the people they had hurt. And because the Holy Spirit is now in them and, and, and healing them and forgiving them, they're, they're praying for the people. They're praying for the girls in junior high that they hurt. And, and realizing that there's forgiveness. God's justice will always be served. It's, the question is whether it will be served by Jesus or served by us. But his justice will always be served. And there's freedom and forgiveness for anyone who will turn to him and say, please forgive me. Please forgive me and please take away my sin. And I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross for me. And that covers all of us. The whole spectrum. Jesus is willing to forgive because he's redemptive. Probably the, one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible is the story in John chapter 8, the, the woman who was caught in adultery. And there's lots going on in that story, and they weren't following the law that we were supposed to be followed and uh, trying to trick Jesus and all of that. But it doesn't change the fact this woman who was caught in this act of breaking God's law, this act of adultery, is brought to Jesus. And by the end of the story, he asks her the question, where are your accusers? And her answer is, there are none left. Nobody's left to accuse me. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. I don't condemn you either. I think those are some of the most beautiful words in the whole Bible. I don't condemn you either. This woman had done some stuff that you'd say was worthy of condemnation, but Jesus says, I don't condemn you. And why was Jesus able to say that? Because he knew that he would be the one who went to the cross. He would be the one who stepped into her place and hung on that cross and said, I will take her condemnation so that she can receive no condemnation. I don't condemn her. I will receive her condemnation on myself. I will pay her penalty. I will give her freedom and forgiveness. And so we can look at her in the eyes and say, I don't condemn you anymore. 
Go and leave your life of sin. Go and live in the freedom that God intended you to live in. Go and experience the goodness of covenant life that you were made for, you were created for, that the Father longs for you to experience. Go. Live forgiven. I don't condemn you. Well, as we close today, I always try to give a little bit of practical advice for this series because I do want to give some tips, I guess, for how you would have conversations with others around you, people that might be struggling with this obstacle. The first one is, and I know this is just true of so many of us, that when you're in conversation with someone that trusts you and they begin to disclose to you hurt that they've experienced, sexual violence, assault, something that happened when they were a kid, something that happened recently, I want to just call you to that. I want to call you to a place where you're able to receive that and hear that and weep with those who weep and pray with them and affirm God's love for them and his goodness in their lives. Encourage them to walk a path of healing, to find counseling, pastoral or or psychological or, or emotional, whatever, whatever is needed for them, but to be with them and to receive that, to hear the hurt and stand with them. I think that's super crucial. It, it literally, as you were open to it in the lives of others, it is all over the place. And if this is actually preventing people from exploring Jesus, be the ears, be the eyes, be the face of Jesus for them as you hold their story confidentially, appropriately. But as you hold their story, that you would be able to hear it and receive it and, and through your very action and your very listening and your very affirmation be able to point them to the one who who longs to give them life and healing and freedom jesus himself if you're talking to someone who's struggling with the authority question like i don't want to follow you i don't want i don't want to be told what to do well really i'm not sure there's a terrible amount you can do except tell your story share how you've come to understand in your own life maybe be as transparent as you can be about ways you've had to explore and, and, and come under the authority of God in your own life sexually and, and how God has been good to you. And, and share about the goodness of God. Don't get preachy about it, but just simply share. I understand how that's a struggle, but I just want to let you know that, that God is good. And if we trust him, he will never fail us. If we let him guide us, he'll never lead us wrong. Just share from your heart about how coming under the authority of Jesus it's been good, an experience of goodness for you. I also want to say that I think we need to get better at talking to our youth about this. Can we all agree with that? You know, our youth are getting messages about sexuality all the time from everyone except us. That's crazy. We're going to let, can I just, I don't do the them very often, but can I just say we're going to let them tell them about, you want to let them tell our kids about sex? Are you kidding me? We need to have a robust, uh, deep, celebratory view of sex so that we can talk to our kids about it. Talk openly, talk freely, get over whatever's stopping you. I had some hilarious stories after the first service of parents sweating on the edge of the beds trying to figure out how to talk to their kids about sex. Don't be that. And I, I understand it's awkward, but let's as a church be more open about discussing sexuality and God's desire for us. 
God's heart and his goodness and the reason why he would put protections. Let's talk about that more openly with our youth. And can I just say as a parent, I don't want to be the only one saying that to my kids because they don't like it when only parents talk to them about sex. Do you know that? We need followers of Jesus willing to speak appropriately into the lives of our youth, into my own kids' lives about what God has called us to. Sometimes that involves sharing your own stories of failure and forgiveness and grace, but also calling them to follow Jesus who they can trust. So I appeal to us as a community, let's let's be more open about that, be more real about that. And then, in, in just final, we need to remember that even if sex presents itself as the obstacle, the goal in these conversations is to help people find Jesus. It is not to help them fix everything in their lives. It's not to tell them to, to get this straight, do this, do that, before you come to Jesus. We all know that's false, right? We don't clean up and then come to Jesus. We come to Jesus and he cleans us up. That's how it works. But sometimes we can get trapped in that. Remember the goal. The goal is to help people meet Jesus. And then let Jesus do his thing. It's amazing. He really, really does it well. Been doing it for several thousand years now. He changes lives. He's the one that looks people right in the eyes and says, I don't condemn you. And they hear love from him in a way that is so powerful and life-changing. And then they also hear and receive his call to go and leave the life of sin. In other words, go and live the freedom that I've designed for you and that I died for you to experience. As we close today, I want to close with a song, ask you to join me in singing it, because I think it encapsulates what we are trying to say here, that we have a Father who is good for us, who is so good and desires for us to experience his goodness in so many ways. And the challenge is, are we willing to trust him in that? Are we willing to actually believe that we have a good, good Father? So will you stand as we sing this together? Oh, I heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. Oh, I've heard tender whisper of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and I'm loved by you it's who I am who I am, it's who I am. And I've seen many searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers. Only you provide to know just what we need before we say a word you're a good good father it's who you are it's who you are it's who you are and i'm loved by you it's 
I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. For you're perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. Think about that. Whatever it is in your life that you would struggle to come under the authority of Jesus, I want you to hear that. You are perfect in all your ways. Perfect in all your ways. Let's sing that together. Perfect in all your ways to us. As you focus on whatever that is in your life that you've struggled to give up. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You're perfect. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You're a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Thank you for being our good, good Father. That's who you are. And we as loved children of yours, that's who we are. What an amazing statement of identity for us. Today, Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I ask that you would send us in your grace and in your power. You bring healing and forgiveness to our lives. And may we trust you like we've never trusted you before. To be the one who leads us to life and freedom. In your name we pray. Amen. Go in grace.